The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Greetings, humans. You have entered the Command Zone, your destination for all aspects of Elder Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your stay. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome to another episode of The Command Zone. I'm your host, Jimmy Wong. How's it? It's Josh Lee Kwai. And uh, we're very high-spirited today because <laughs> it's a fun one. Because we this is our third attempt at starting the podcast? Yes. Yeah, you guys don't hear the, the 50,000 times we do this beforehand when it just end up, ends up in us saying the wrong thing. Or just making a joke and the other guy laughing. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of mistakes, but... Uh, what are you Eli. talking about? We're perfect. Yeah, that's right. I've never made a single mistake on this podcast ever. <laughs> As I continue to barrel through and make more rules mistakes, and I don't know how trample works, I guess. All right. So today's episode. <laughs> that's the ongoing joke. Yeah. How does trample work again? I don't know. I think you hit them, and then you hit them some more. Yeah. So it's like double strike, essentially. It's I think the it's same the same thing. thing. Yeah, it's pretty much the same thing. Uh, Team or Battle Rage really gives me a headache. And... <laughs> <laughs> How can it have trample and double strike when they do the same thing? Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Redundant. Okay, so today's topic is called trading up. Josh uh, provided the mana-based topic last week, so I wrote this one up. It's about making the best out of your cards and your resources in acquiring and trading them. But before we get to that, we have a few things that we'd like to talk about on air. The first is a very sad goodbye to the Five Commanders podcast. They posted on their website that they are going to no longer be recording under the banner of the Five Commanders. However, they are still interacting with all of you guys on Facebook, Twitter, and email, which they're monitoring daily. So I'm super excited because they they have uh, some possible updates regarding future ventures. But I'm also sad because the podcast is uh, going to be on a temporary hiatus. Yeah, it is pretty sad. Uh, Phil and Casey are guys we got to know. We got to play once with Brenton. I think you played with a couple of the other guys. Mm -hmm. Really cool guys. Um, I was a fan of their show. We had just encouraged all our listeners to listen to them. (laughs) And then they're... they're... Well, they have an excellent backlog. I will guarantee you that much. They've had Sheldon on a couple of times as well. They Mm -hmm. actually introduced Sheldon to us. Uh, Thank you very much, guys, for that during the whole uh, Great Tuck debate of 2015. (laughs) That was so long ago. Yeah, it was, like it was what, actually like two, two weeks, weeks ago. ago. No, Dragon Week felt like five weeks in a row. I yeah, was doing so true. much tweeting. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, so, yeah, we're sad to see uh, those guys go and uh, wish them the best in future endeavors. We're excited to, you know, they're going to be coming out with hopefully some more mm-hmm. magic content. And so I'm excited to hear it. Yeah, and hopefully get to, we get to play with them again soon because there were some memorable, memorable games in there. Um, another thing we wanted to say is uh, iTunes reviews. One of our listeners b- brought this up in the comment section recently. And uh, we used to ask you guys to uh, go to iTunes and give us reviews. And then we stopped asking that and people stopped giving us reviews. And so all our reviews are from like January. <laughs> and so, hey, we'd like to encourage you to go to um, yeah. the reviews on iTunes and, and give us a review. It really does help us out in the same way that following us on Twitter mm-hmm. and all those other social media things do. So, Yeah. Yeah, we want to we want to look as spick and span as possible for the uh, 
big big data wizards of the coast yep it helps us um get product from them to pass on to you guys it also yeah. just helps us promote the show get big guests on mm-hmm. it's just good for everybody so uh if you can take the time to do that that would really be awesome yeah and any excuse i get to to hang out with my friends that do work at the companies the better because it's great i love everyone that i know that works at that company is a superbly nice person and is genuinely here to do the same thing that we're trying to do which is have you love a game that they make yeah they they are really cool people so yeah um it's a pretty cool job it's kind of a dream I, it was probably one of my dream jobs growing up was to work at wizards, work at wizards? Was yeah we well, just like wizards or too. bungie yeah like all these awesome gaming companies are all around you and it's pretty sweet my dream was to work in the movie business really mm-hmm. i think you made it there i wish my dream was to work at wizards or something else <laughs> do i sound jaded sorry Hey, welcome to show business. <laughs> it's not show friends. That's right. Well, you're, we're definitely doing business out here because today's topic is a lot about that. Um, so the idea of trading up in a game of magic means that you are uh, there's something beneficial happening where you trade a card for someone else's or you two for one them, which is which means you get two cards of value for their one card. A lot of times trading up is also like if my card that costs less mana than your card mm-hmm. trades for your card. So then I'm up some tempo on you. So if my two drop trades for your four drop, that's actually advantageous to me. It's not quite as good as getting yeah. a two for one card wise. But if I keep doing that in the long haul over the course of a game, I'm going to be, I'm going to have extra mana above you and I might be able to do more things than you. So, and you should be winning because you've done more advantageous things for you. I mean, I think- if my two drop trades for your four drop, then I play my four drop. Yeah. Like where are we at? I'm ahead there. You definitely are. Yeah. Um, because you may play a three drop in the middle. I think the best example that's really easy to see is like a um, death touch rats. Yes. They sit there. They're a one, one for one black mana and they drop a, a five, five, five mana green elk. And you're like, my rats will bite it. And the both die. They bit Elmer. They bit Elmer. Yeah. How dare they? Yeah, sorry, Marshall. <laughs> but rats are, they, they look at you. <laughs> okay. You so dirty rats. trading up outside of the game uh, it means how do you acquire cards? How do you trade your cards for better cards? And also, what cards do you take in your deck and literally take out and put in to trade up the card and upgrade it in a certain way? So we're trying to find value in cards that have made way out of your decks as well. And there's a lot of steps along. So we're going to talk about the life of a card to make our way there. So the first thing that happens with a card is it's born anywhere. So it's, it could have been made in Alpha or it could have been spoiled in Dragon's Dark here. But it has to come from someone. And what's different is usually how you hear about it. So you, you'll get it played against you. You'll have a friend recommend it. You'll hear it on a podcast like ours, or you'll find it through Gatherer. Or you're um, going through the spoiler. and it's Yeah, like, exactly. It hasn't come out yet, but it's about to. Yeah, you're getting super excited to get this card because you see it, and it's like, this card needs to be in this deck, or I think there is something here. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of you guys that have just bought like pre-constructed commander decks, this is probably something that you immediately started thinking about so as soon as you started fanning through the cards and being like, oh, this political one, I don't know if I like the effects of this one as much as some other card that I've seen. Um, it's so, why pre-cons are very good when you're starting out too because they basically oh, yeah. just give you a whole bunch of cards that maybe you haven't seen and that's a good starting point mm-hmm. you know to see cards you wouldn't have seen and to start you know start those si- 
synapses synergies synapses firing synapses firing yeah synapses not synapses to find the synergies yeah exactly so just start those brain pistons firing yeah i I bet if you bought it'd be a cool experiment to do if you bought all five of the colored uh pre-constructed decks from this last year and see what kind of uh multicolored decks you can make out of it and you'll you'll get the commanders from somewhere else but Uh see if you can blend those cards together in a way to make them work there are some cards you won't be able to use as well like the medallions and stuff but yeah, I mean, you can definitely right. do it. Anytime you get a certain amount of magic cards, yeah. you know, in a pile, you're going <laughs> to find all kinds of synergies um, that you never would have known existed. Yeah, and that's part of the fun. Yeah. So the first main point today is determining which cards are coming out of your deck, and we could spend a whole episode on just this alone. We did a little bit. Um, there's a Gaddock Teague episode with mm-hmm. Alex Kessler from the Masters of Modern. We talked about cutting cards. Right. Um but we didn't go super deep on it. This yeah. is you're right. This is probably a full topic, but we can touch on it here. Yeah. So uh, cutting cards is definitely, I think, one of the more difficult things that can happen, especially right after you built the deck, and you're like, all right, I have 130 cards. Like, how do I get this down to 100? Because you look at each card and you have to make a decision. Like, how do I get rid of this card? I like, I like it so much, or I've never played it before. Uh, the first main thing is just play test. So the next time you play, to always be taking mental notes. I find it just to be really helpful, just to see something and be like, all right, I'm going to stick that in a segment of my brain. I'll think about later. Like, if you have a card in your I cert- even will keep my phone out. Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. And I'll just keep the notepad on my phone, and there'll be cards people play that I haven't seen, and I'll write those down, and then there'll be cards in my hand or cards in the game that just don't work the way that I want them to. Yeah. And I'll make notes in the notepad on my phone so that later, a couple of days later, it's, ha- it's often hard to remember, like, exactly... What was that card again that I didn't like having in my hand? And yeah. if you didn't write it down at the time, you might not remember. But then, you know. Right. And how often do you put a card in your deck and you're like, I thought it was going to do this, but I read it wrong. Or, <laughs> you know what I mean? And then yeah. you can play three or four games before you real like you might not even draw it in all the games so yeah, it can take true. a while to cycle that out of your deck if you don't write it down yeah and one of the easiest ways to tell is also like if it's in your opening hand and you're considering a mulligan just based on the hand itself like how much does that single card affect your decision and you'll find that you know some cards will be better in the early game of course and will weigh you towards that certain way but if it's like an insurrection on turn one and you're like well i tried playing insurrection last time and someone just countered it because i had eight mana up and you know i was clearly holding a couple cards in my hand and they know that I can do that. So, like, think about that and think about how it affects your decision there. Um, something that Josh mentioned was that, like, what does the card do? And if you have too much redundancy for an effect, to not go overboard on that. And that's actually something that's interesting because it's sort of paring down from the opposite direction. Yeah, I, I, you know, a lot of decks, like, let's say the Marquesa deck that I've talked about a few times. Mar- Marquesa wants to put a bunch of 1-1 counters on your creatures. Um, and so you end up putting in a bunch of stuff that puts 1-1 counters on stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's entirely possible to have too much of that in your deck so that your deck's not doing anything else. And then, you know, you don't have sack outlets or you don't yeah. have enough card draw or you don't have enough ramp. And the balance of that can be where when you initially build your deck, which is what I did, I'm like, oh, I have way... I don't have any problem putting 1-1 counters on anything. I have way too much of that. Yeah. So that's... A lot of decks have a specific thing they're doing. Maybe it's graveyard synergy. Maybe it's, you know, uh, card draw... Maybe it's... Every deck should just be about card draw. Yeah, but Nekusar can have too much card draw. Right. To the point where it doesn't have enough of the other stuff. And you you end up being like, I don't have trouble making people draw cards. I have trouble killing all the creatures on the board or something like that. So that's another thing where it's like, you can have too much redundancy. Yeah, definitely. Um, And that's like, again, like if you see it in your hand and you're going, oh, another one of these, I much would have rather had a one of these instead. That's a a clear sign you might need to uh, get rid of a card. Um, And sort of what we were saying is like, go back to the basics. Like, 
what was the original idea for the deck? Because every deck starts from somewhere. Like, where did you start with the deck? And are you still with that original, like, premise or, like, your thesis statement of the deck? And I, I think not, I don't do this enough. Yeah. Or I stubbornly stick to what my original thesis was the de- for the deck was. And then I'm like, boy, I really should go in this other direction. Yeah. You know, that's the stuff that's working really good. But you just sort of have this initial idea in your head, and for whatever reason, that's the Johnny in you. Yeah, you don't stay want, there. Yeah, and I, I hang on to that for too long sometimes. You don't yeah. do that. No, but it is good to hang on to it if you do it because comboing off is fun and hilarious. Like there, I mean, you're doing something. That's what you built the deck to do, and once you get to do it, it's pretty fun and sweet. But a lot of times, deck ideas do evolve, and like your Marchesa deck, Marchesa turned quickly from one into the other, and then finally just became five color. Like we yeah. all knew it was well, going there, by the way. Well, not quickly though. It's it, true. That it was like the, that was one year. of those decks where I built it and I had an idea for what it was, and that idea didn't actually work that good. Yeah, and it took me a long time to admit that. I think you would have taken a lot less time to admit that. <laughs> And sure, I do. I'm just like, it uh, took me probably seven months to admit it, you know, playing the deck 25, 30 times. Well, I noticed you just stopped playing it after a certain time. And too. that's when I knew, you know, after it, it sort of gave me that distance I needed yeah. to not care as much about changing it. But if you're playing it all the time, then you're like, but I'd have to take out this card, which I really <laughs> like, and that card, which I really like. And then I don't play with it for a month or two. And then I don't have any emotional attachment to it. And it's a lot easier for me to change. I mean, yeah, that's very true. Yeah. So if your deck is actually in that transitional period where it's sort of stuck between the old mechanics that you like and the new ones that you're like, wow, I really want to put Delve in this deck, so I'm going to try and enable Delve. Like, you know, if you're stuck in that weird middle area, you need to figure out which cards aren't contributing to where you want to go with the deck. Because you don't need to be so tightly focused, like Josh said, that you're only putting plus one, plus one counters on creatures, but you also want to have, you know, you don't want to not go far enough. So find where that balance is and find out what cards fit and don't fit. One thing I like to do when I'm tuning a deck is I like to make big sweeping, play it twice, and yeah. then and then not just take out two or three cards that add plus one, plus one counters. Take out half of them mm-hmm. and put in half of something else and then see how that plays. That'll give me a lot better idea of do I need a lot of this effect or not than if I just sort of slowly take it down. Yeah, that's you know, true. I can overshoot it. And and then I can come back to the middle. It's a little bit easier. Yeah, they kind of say that with like acting and performance too in general. It's better to go too big, and that right. way you know where to take it down to instead of you're not there yet and you're afraid to push the boundaries or whatever. Yeah, there's a... I don't remember where I heard this, but there's a thing in the military where if you're learning to fire a weapon, mm-hmm. if you miss short, then your next shot, you better miss long. You know, mm, that's the best way to find the target. If you just slowly tick up, it's going to take you a lot longer. Yeah, and you're not you're not correctly like figuring. It's sort of it you takes just you won't like learn as much on the second bit. shot if you miss short again. Yeah, that's you'll true. learn a lot more by missing far. Man, they are min maxing like crazy. Well, I mean, you know, their lives are kind of on the line. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Very, very true. Um, one last thing about uh, back going back to the basics is like, and this kind of goes into. Oh, the I think next I heard that part. on Rosewater's podcast. Amaro's? Yeah, oh, I think so. I'm trying. Actually- I'm like, I heard that somewhere. And it was really good explanation, and I'd never put it to words before. But anyway, I, I like to give... that though because it definitely applies to a lot of just stuff in life in general, which yeah. is is nice. Um, I'd say in all games, it, like let's say you're playing basketball. Oh yeah, if you're shooting a free throw and you miss it short, miss the next one long. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, just make sure you don't miss it short again. Unfortunately, no one's life is on the line in that case. <laughs> it's just the basketball and the hoop. 
Um, uh, so the, the last sort of mini segment here is separate emotional attachment. And by that, I mean like ask yourself the questions that you don't want to answer. I don't like this section. We've all been here. <laughs> it's a sad, sad place to be, but sometimes that pet card just don't fit and it's too flashy or too big or an old favorite or just sort of like a, you know, it just doesn't serve the purpose that it needs to. And it kind of is just taking up weight just cause you, you know, you're attached to it for a good reason. Yeah. This I mean, kind of goes into our deck tech for next you're 100%, episode too. You're you're a hundred percent right, and I don't do this very well. I will <laughs> like I'm like I'm it's I I have I'm playing blue. I'm putting Fate Stitcher in there, even though it has nothing to do <laughs> with anything the deck wants to do. But that I just love that card. I'm just putting it in. I feel good every time that card's on the table. So. Yeah. But you're right. There's been times where I'm like, yeah, that Fate Stitcher, it has to come out because <laughs> it's just not doing. I need something anything. that synergizes. Yeah. yeah. Fate Stitcher kind of synergizes with everything. Well, it's maybe a bad example because it does always it's at like, least it's ramp you. It's kind of the perfect card. And to me, it's like one of the best EDH cards there is. Like him and the Prophet, they're up there of just like the, you can never go wrong. Yeah. I mean, even the Prophet I is less versatile by far. Right. She doesn't do anything if she's the only thing that's out there and you don't have any cards in your hand. Yeah. Fate Stitcher's still good in that s- scenario. He's good at least in the graveyard. Can, oh, gosh. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, maybe that's a bad example, but there are other cards. Swan Song's one, which I yeah. really do try to jam in, but it's not always, you know. A lot of times there's better cards. Uh, yeah, and it's not a, it's not like a bad thing if the deck goes out. Let's, I mean, the other thing is like the cards could still very well be viable in another deck. Right. You know, it could be a perfect card for a whole other deck, but it yeah. just is not going to fit that archetype that you're trying to do. And if, when you're trying to refine a deck and sort of twiddle with it and sort of iron out the uh, the rough spots, these are the cards that I think are the first ones that don't get sort of automatically put down. It's like, oh, maybe I should take this out. They're like, oh, I'm, of course I'm not going to take that out. Sort of just immediately goes back into the keep pile. Just like take a second and look at it and be like, why am I keeping this? Ask yourself the question you don't want to answer. I think Kessler said on our earlier episode, and this was really interesting, I thought smart, was like, if you're ever down to a point where you've got, you're trying to cut like one of three cards and you've got it narrowed down and it's one of these three cards Mm -hmm. and one of those three cards is your pet favorite card, it's probably the one you should cut. Yeah. Because it's getting slightly extra points by being just your favorite. Yeah. Maybe it's it should have been down so to two pr- cards. Yeah. So it probably <laughs> isn't actually as good as those other two cards. Yeah, it's true. So. Um, and it, again, like back to the uh, the title of this episode, think about it as trading up because you're taking the card that it may, you may even be replacing it for like a mana rock, honestly. Yeah. Like it's not going to be as combo-y or flashy, but you probably needed it way more. And it's going to make you happier. We talked about this last time. But there's no point in playing a game if your mana's not fixed and you don't, you know, you can't play the spells in your hand. I mean, honestly, I would I would estimate that somewhere around seventy percent of all my deck tuning involves adding mana ramp and card draw cards yeah. and taking out the cool synergy stuff that is the actual theme of the deck. Yeah, but well, you I keep need... the right pieces in there so you could still do it. You just have to find the balance. I mean, when you first build your deck, you put in tons of the cool synergy stuff because that's why you're building the deck. You mm-hmm. don't go to build a deck and go like, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to put Mana Ramp and Card Draw in there. Well, some people do. Yeah, I mean, listen, I love Mana Ramp and Card Draw, but it's the it's the cool interactions between your cards that make you want yeah, to build the deck. and your commander specifically. And the Mana Ramp and the Card Draw just make it this smooth it all out. Yeah. And so what happens is you put tons of the cool synergy in, but your draw your game's not smooth. Because you don't have those basic foundation pieces of man ramp and card draw. Yep. You need them. All right, now that you've got space in your deck and you know the sweet card you need to replace it with, you might think, hey, I should just go out and purchase this card because Replenish is the best sorcery ever in White for Enchantments. And then you're like, hold up. Replenish is pretty quick. 
pretty sweet. It is pretty expensive too. It is. So we're going to have a short brief aside and talk about proxying. Right. And this is something you guys asked us a lot about actually. And um, there's, you know, there's a lot of, I guess it's controversy, but there's a lot of discussion about it. Yeah. There's a lot of opinions about proxying. Um, Do you want to go first? Sure. Um, My opinion on proxying is that it's all about how long that card's going to be in your deck. So Mm -hmm. I'm not in favor of proxying if it's permanent. (laughs) So I'm, I mean, I'm not a, a big fan of it. A permanent, yeah, right? then yeah. it's just counterfeit. Um, <laughs> so what I what I would say is, but I'm perfectly fine with proxying something where you know, let's say that you're like, well, sneak attack might be really good in this deck, but I'm not sure. By the way, sneak attack will be good. Yeah, <laughs> that's a bad example. But you know, some expensive, we're all about giving bad examples. Yeah, today. <laughs> some expensive card that you're not 100 percent sure how good it'll be. Maybe like Avicen. Yeah, you know that's a pretty expensive card, and you don't want to go that's buy it. Yeah, it's good you don't want to go buy it, put it in, find out it's not really what the deck needs, and then you just wasted thirty bucks. So in that instant instance, I think it's fine to proxy it and to try it out a few times, and then go, yeah, that did work, and then go buy it. You mm-hmm. know, because I totally, I totally get it. Like it's an expensive yeah. hobby, so you don't want to be going and spending a bunch of money that you don't need to and find out the card doesn't work and then it's like you spend a bunch of money and it's just sitting there yeah and it's also like sometimes like well do i want to spend 30 bucks on this one card that has a big effect or five cards that are six dollars that you know maybe better like but sometimes that card is worth it like if you're playing a Calia deck there should be an avison in there yes. like that is the best card for her to pop out um so yeah i'm i'm in favor of proxying as well like you know it's obviously not quote-unquote counterfeit if it's just a post-it note slammed into a card sleeve but it is jank after like if it's like a year later and you still got that sucker in there it's like all right well it doesn't actually feel like i'm playing the same game if that makes sense if, yeah if, it if feels unfair it doesn't feel good for your opponents you know it's fine if you mention it at the start of a game and you're like hey i'm trying out a couple cards oh yeah here. i'm totally then fine i'm totally fine that. with it but if the guy's playing that same thing every time then it gets a little like it's not fair like why am i it's not like just, why am i not jamming mana crypt in every one of my decks yeah i'm just gonna have... put i'm just gonna put show and tell and sneak attack and all this really expensive mm-hmm. stuff i'm just gonna you know use a sharpie and yeah. make those cards like that it can get really degenerate in your play group if that's the mentality and so. i think that's actually against the spirit of the game which is we're all co-collecting as hobbyists right to play this game together and you know like the, every group has their own like oh it was the arms race everyone started doing this and this and this and that but, you know, it really is just about not, you know, I think it's just kind of like if you, if you really want the card, then it's something that you can find your way to getting. Unless it is like a Black Lotus, then that's. A but we can't play it. So that's not, so you, that, you know, it doesn't matter for our format. I mean, yeah. it's the same theory behind like test driving mm-hmm. or trying on clothes before you buy them or things like that. And I think. Yeah, that, you wouldn't just go to clothing stores and just try on Oh, stuff. those jeans are going to fit fine. What? Like, yeah. no one would do that. Yeah, you, yeah, you want to try it on first. You try it on, make sure that it looks good, make sure that it fits. Now, I'm don't totally stay at the store that. and only wear their clothing. See, that's <laughs> that's like the proxying for too long. <laughs> You're just constantly at Abercrombie & Fitch being like, I need more jeans that are faded. And have, yeah, and distressed. <laughs> Super distressed. What are they distressed about? They have, like, know. paint on them for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not a painter. It's like manufacturing defect, but they're like, this is perfect. Yeah. <laughs> All I right. paid 50 extra dollars for this paint. <laughs> welcome to la a couple of nice splotches here and there go a long <laughs> way yeah so as i sit here in my distressed jeans now that you've uh you finished potentially proxying the card you know that you want this sucker in your deck it's time to talk about our second main point which is best purchasing procedures or how to buy cards the right way 
Um, cause I'm not going to lie. There are a lot of people selling cards and in general, a lot of people selling stuff in the real world. And if you are always buying stuff that is too expensive or overpriced and you're not realizing it, then you are going to not have money in your life. You're not going to be able to support yourself. I mean, the game of magic is about efficiency, optimization, yeah. min maxing, you know, finding little edges. So magic's players like to do that. You know, you want to do it in real life too. It's, mm-hmm. Even if you have tons of disposable income you still don't want to get ripped off you still want to get the card you want for the cheapest price possible yeah absolutely um and that's what this whole section is about um and so there are a lot of options when it comes to getting cards uh the first thing you need to ask yourself is do you need one of this card or like three or four so sometimes it is like i need four command towers i need three soarings because i have decks that don't have them yet um, and that actually changes how you buy stuff because you can find different deals based on different prices so you got and vendors. also shipping Oh, right. A lot shipping, of there's yeah. shipping thresholds for a lot of things. So a lot of times you're just better off buying a few just to get above, you know, get the thir- above $30 ships free or whatever. Yeah, exactly. If you're at a certain amount, then pay attention to the shipping threshold. And a lot of times it's like, well, yeah. this last thing I'm going to buy is virtually free because it gets rid of the shipping cost. Yeah. In which case you should do that. Um, so you guys have probably heard of a lot of these websites already. Um, so the main way to get cards these days is, I think, online. Uh, TCG Player is, I think, kind of at the top of it because they aggregate a lot of stores. Yeah. And they, they and it's a marketplace, you. so they have to compete yes. with one another. Yeah, so you're going to always find competitive pricing. Um, and each store wants your business, so they're, they're putting their best prices out there. Uh, and you, we've also got stuff like Card Kingdom, which used to be the uh, sponsor for LR. Uh, you also have MTG Deals, which is next door to here. And you've got uh, lots of websites to do Star it Star City, Star City Games, Channel, Fireball, Fireball. Those are big ones. I would say that in general, buying from those sites like Card Kingdom, MTG Deals, Channel Fireball, S- Star City, not as good as TCG Player because uh, I think Jason all said this when he was on our podcast. But mm-hmm. if you're on Star City's website... Star City doesn't have to compete with itself, so there's nothing dr- naturally driving their True. price down. But on TCG, like I post my, you know, show and tell for X amount, and then some other guy comes along, looks at it, and goes, "Well, I'll sell mine for cheaper." So there's a natural competition. Yeah. You know, there's natural capitalism that occurs there. I agree. You're definitely going to find, I think, in general, the best deals on TCG Player. But that's not to say that the other sites don't have their merits because they have the power. In this case, instead to be like, we have a winter holiday sale. Yes, we are going to be selling these boxes. Like, you know, you can't find product like that and stuff too. So there's always ups and downs to everything. And I just encourage you to just you know check out the websites we'll have a nice list in the uh the description as well for this uh podcast that's a really good point a lot of those major websites will have like sale of the day mm-hmm. and so they'll have one card where they've drastically marked it down just for that day or for that week yeah you know it's and, a really and, great way to get cheap cards yeah it's a good way and sometimes they'll be like 60 percent of what the card normally goes for yeah. and they just have a glut of them or whatever they're just trying to drive sales to their website mm-hmm. you know Best Buy was famous for this strategy where it would actually sell. They actually put a lot of brick and mortar like music shops out of business by selling CDs and music for cheaper than cost. Because oh, wow. Best Buy's, Just to bring them in. Yeah, Best Buy's philosophy was if you come here to buy a CD and we lose a dollar on it, that's actually, but you might buy a washing machine, which will make $200 right. on it. Right. And so that was actually advertising. That was part of an advertising cost was that's just really losing a dollar on music CDs. But the outcome was Tower Records goes out of business, you know, which kind of sucks. But anyway, the flo- the the Truly moral the of that sto- <laughs> yeah the moral of that story is that Channel Fireball or Star City Games, the really big mm-hmm. retailers online, will sometimes do things similar to that, and you can really take advantage. Yeah, it's not going to put anyone out of business. Trust me. There's a lot of people that want to buy cards, so don't worry about that. Uh, 
Uh, another option online is eBay. And this is actually the one that has the highest variance in terms of pricing. Because uh, I think on eBay, you sometimes can get away with complete steals. Oh, yeah. Like I uh, recently got a Macias the Unhollowed for probably 50% of the price. Um, and this is after shipping. Uh, just because sometimes there will be auctions up. And, and it's a whole... There are people that love to just sit there and snipe and find these auctions and go auction hunting. It's a very, it's actually kind of like gambling in a way. It's what it feels for like. I, I think, think eBay too like rewards you like for for the work you're doing, and mm-hmm. the work is sifting through like tons of auctions. Yeah. So you can turn like if you don't have as much money, but you have a little extra time, mm-hmm. then you can turn that time into savings. So that's a that's a good way i'd say if you have more time yeah and in general you'll find people selling groups of things that you would never find at other websites like this is my like my standard collection i'm offloading it all at once and the total cost of everything might be like 500 dollars, but it sells for 250 now of course if you don't want to get into standard you shouldn't be purchasing this auction and for edh players i don't think it's a very wise buy either but it's the kind of thing where you can find an edge and get good deals in random places and buying four ups and stuff as well Oh, one thing I will say about TCG Player and the big boxes, just to go back to that for a second, is a lot of times you'll buy some stuff from TCG Player. It'll get sent to you, mm-hmm. and then the store that sent it to you will give you like a little coupon. Right, $5 off. Or 10% off if you order directly from us mm-hmm. and things like that. And so that can be a boon. Um, Card Kingdom, I know, does this Channel Fireball and Star City, I think, do, which is if you sell oh, cards yeah, to them. Oh, right, right then you can get an additional um, percentage if you use that for store credit. So a lot of them have a buy list and it'll say like, we want Bremaz and we're paying $18 for Bremaz. And you go, okay, I'm going to send you f- three Bremaz and I'm going to get $54. Yeah. But if you take that in store credit, they'll give you an additional 30%. So now all of a sudden you've got $70. Yeah. It's um, great for you if you want to get more cards and it's even better for them because you're essentially giving them everything you're giving them your card and the money that you made from it back right back into the system so yeah so everybody's happy in that scenario so mm-hmm. uh i would look out for little edges like that because they can yeah. be advantageous you can also get cards at gps or events or yep. uh, of course uh, your lgs That's- i would say gps are usually a bad place because everyone in the Although for EDH, well, here's for the EDH, thing. it's not bad. EDH, it's not bad, yeah. yeah. If you're trying to find the hot card that everyone's trying to spec on, like a Siege Rattle right before a standard GP is not going to be, be the like right place to be like three times it. more than it should be. Yeah, exactly. But if you're finding some EDH staple that isn't even uh, legal and standard, and mm-hmm. it's a standard GP, then you can maybe find good deals on it. Yeah, a lot of these people come to the GPs, and they're just vendors, and they have huge little cases of stuff, and a lot of it has nothing to do. A lot of they're like, hey, check all these foil unhinged islands I have. Right. You know? And they're... they're they're very amicable to, I think, making deals as well in these situations. I mean, like, hey, if you want to buy this and this, you know, maybe I can cut you a small deal here. Or if you want to trade with me, et cetera. So there's, it's much more social in that aspect. And it's the same for your LGS. Um, probably your best same-day resource. It's like the most reliable one where you can go to and on the same day get something if you need it. Um, and I, I encourage this beyond everything else because supporting your local game store is like a, it's your home away from home. You know, it's a very important place for a lot of players that want to compete in events or even just have a place to play Commander with their friends because they don't have the table space or, you know, their mom kicked them out. <laughs> Did this happen to you, Jimmy? No, it, it didn't happen like to me. To um, um, the thing about the LGS is it also fosters your community. Yeah. Like, you you want people playing the game in your community because that gives you people to play with and against. And yeah. it gives you enough – if you have to hit this tipping point – where there's enough players to organize things like tournaments and pre-TQs and PTQs and, you know, Friday Night Magics and all this these events that you want to happen because 
the way that you help that happen is you help your LGS be strong and you help mm-hmm. it grow and it'll it'll continue to grow your community. So supporting your LGS is there's a lot of benefits besides just having a store that you can buy cards from right, yeah. right across the street. Yeah, These, this is also a place that you're going to meet a friend that will trade with you. And yep. that is, of course, the other best purchasing procedure that costs no money. You just trade for a card instead, and you don't have to, you know, it's it's kind of like the thing where you're trading back into Channel Fireball or whatever. You're actually giving someone something that's not money, and you get another card back in return. And so, the thing about trading is it's a one-to-one process. Now, buying or selling your cards to a store mm-hmm. or a retailer is you're always going to lose a little bit of equity because they need a profit margin. Right. But when I'm just trading with you, we can just be equal. Mm-hmm. So that can just be a one-to-one, dollar-for-dollar, straight-across trade. Yeah. You rarely get that at a store. That's true. Um, all right. So uh, I would say always ask a friend first. You'll probably find a way to get the card you want if someone has it without paying money. That's definitely the best way to save money It's just to look for that. Um, and then you know, check out your options online. And when you go to buy the card, you want to save as much money as possible. So if you're getting into this game and you're investing in it, it's going to be something you're probably going to do more times down the line. So just set good guidelines for yourself. Like a penny saved is truly a penny earned. <laughs> uh, and like TC Player has this cool thing called the cart maximizer where they'll try and find you the best optimizer. price. Optimizer, right. And they'll like do like this like looking thing, and they'll find the best stores and try and uh, group your shipments together, and you know maybe give you a, a lightly played in seven year mint to save you some dollars here and there. And yeah, you have to play with the options, especially if you have foils or if you're worried about the condition of the cards. But right, the optimizer right. is amazing. It, you'll pick all these cards you want, and then you'll hit optimize, and all of a sudden, like they'll yeah, like you said, they'll group them together so the shipping's less, and you can save like you know. Sometimes like up to twenty thirty dollars on the. Sometimes shipment. it'll be like fifteen percent or yeah. something. Yeah, uh, which is cool. Um, and also, of course, if you go to your LGS, they also want to keep you as a customer. So while they do have a profit margin, it's in their best interest to not scam you out of your cards and to give you a good trade in deal or whatever, because that means that you're going to keep going to that store and you want to have them want you be a good customer mm-hmm. because to them it's you know better business and they get to stay around and they get to keep being a store that plays magic. Usually, stores start. Because people like the game, mm-hmm. and so that's what they want to do. And a lot of times, like you know, I've known LGSs where they'll get to know you to the point where the, you'll come in, and they'll be like, "Hey, this card just came in. You you might want it for your deck," and they'll show it to you, and you never even would have known. And they'll look out for you if you, you yeah, know, you can. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely been in communities that were small enough. In LA, it's that doesn't happen as often because there's millions of people. It's a big here. city, yeah, yeah. But but even then, like I, I still know some employees of on name basis at certain stores, so. So, yeah, it can totally happen, and, and, and that's, again, it's just community building. Yeah. Uh, finally, um, don't buy something at its height. So learn about the rotation cycle. Um, uh, cards are going to be worth the most when they're super wanted in a format like modern or standard, and that's why you'll see some cards that may be great for EDH be super expensive because they're played in another format and they're a hot card. Don't buy the card if it's super hyped because it, you almost have a – 100% chance of a new card coming out is going to go down in price before it goes up, I think. It's going to hit a peak, and it's always going to fall. And I think you're always better off waiting for it to go down, unless you are very early in catching it. Yeah, I, I think... Um, well, it's different for different formats. So, Standard has a rotation cycle. I guess we should talk about the rotation cycle really quick. Uh, not all EDH players know about it. A lot of you probably do, so just bear with us. Standard's actually moving to a new rotation cycle where right. there will be three blocks at a time that are legal in Standard, and there will all be two set blocks. 
now before it was like a three one three kind of thing yeah and sometimes it would be three two three there'd be two corsets for a second mm-hmm. uh for a hot minute and and two full blocks of three it's so they're messy yeah now it's going to be two two and two and the so it'll either be five total sets or six total sets mm-hmm. so we're get we're in the middle of this weird switch over but in, in as soon as battle for zendikar comes out then theros block is gone it's going to be the new format so there'll be all the cons block magic origins and battle for zendikar and the next set and then the next set the second half of battle for zendikar whatever that's called will come out and then after that cons and fate reforged will fall off and that will be the final three block set in the well no right no because dragons of darkir and magic origins are actually a two block set for rotation purposes wow (laughs) which is really confusing Jeez. so basically go read about the standards rotation cycle because what happens is as soon as like coming up here theros is about to fall off Mm -hmm. and so theros won't be legal in standard so all the cards that are useful in standard decks right now from that block will be worth way less as soon as theros is not legal in standard because the only cards in theros that'll still be good are cards that are playable in modern or legacy which there aren't very many Mm -hmm. and even then even the ones that are playable in modern or legacy they won't they'll still drop because there just won't be the demand for them in those two other formats that there wasn't standard because standard is far and away more popular than Mm -hmm. the other formats. so it's a supply and demand issue so if you learn about rotation cycle you can hit these moments where for us for eh it doesn't matter because we don't rotate so (laughs) thank goodness yeah so it's about to happen with theros where theros is going to fall off standard rotation and then that's the time to pick up the theros cards yeah because very importantly the gods actually yep i think that's a great time to get stuff like perforos and all those gods i think they'll see their all-time lows as soon as theros drops off yeah because people literally just go to the store and they just dump all their theros block stuff and they try and buy into the whatever the new set that came out that's mm-hmm. going to be legal and standard is. Yeah, and in, so the in stores that just economy, have, that's how they have to do it. Yeah, and so that's standard. what we call. Yeah, that's a moment when the supply is really high and the demand is really low. And if you're a buyer, that's what you want. You want high supply, yeah. low demand. So that's a way to sort of pick your moment and buy the same card that you would have bought two months later or maybe two months before, and you just hit this moment where where it's it's not at a peak, it's at a valley. Mm-hmm. So, and then modern has sort of a season so we're about to come up on modern season because masters of modern i was gonna say masters of modern 2 but it's actually masters of modern 2015 modern masters 2015 oh yeah <laughs> we're just masters of our... modern is the podcast yes that alex and ben are on that you should totally listen to because it's about modern and competitive magic but modern masters is the set of cards so modern masters 2015 is about to come out and that's yeah. going to kick off a season of some uh some modern events so there'll be modern sealed, there'll be modern pro tour, there'll be modern, yep. you know, a bunch of modern and tournaments. And this affects us much more than standard. Well, it's just to pay attention to what's legal in modern, mm-hmm. which is every set with the with the new border. Um, our buddy Gavin Verhe actually sort of invented this format. But you learn about what's yeah, in modern. He, he definitely was the inspiration for the new modern. Yeah, so learn about what's in modern and then do not buy it when modern's in season because yeah. that's the time when everyone's playing those decks and so those cards are at the most possible demand mm-hmm. but if you were to buy modern want to buy modern cards say six months ago oh right that's the at the point time when there were no modern events in fact everyone was complaining like where's the modern events yeah well those cards weren't in demand at all because no one was buying because no one needed to play them so it's, it can get complicated, but if you do a little research, you can really find these deals yeah. and these moments where the same cards 
are just a lot less or a lot more depending on what's in what's season. in season, what's yeah. what's legal in what format. It gets again, this is another place where if you don't have a ton of money but you have some time, you can oh, research yeah. and you can turn that time into equity. Yeah. Yeah. Uh I, yeah, a little research goes a long long way. Um so for instance, if you wanted to buy Elspeth Sun's Champion recently, uh you should have waited for the dual deck to come out because Wizards every time they have a set, they like to print uh these things called dual decks which are two cards sort of verse each other in mm-hmm. themed decks and they're often reprints of cards that are popular in standard. And if you want a sweet card in standard for your deck and you don't want to pay a higher price for it, that's like you want to just keep an eye out for these kind of things because wizards does things on the schedule you know the things yes. the same kind of products clash packs dual decks come out with every set and so they'll always have stuff that might interest you think speaking of the modern masters 2015 set that's going to be coming out mm-hmm. um in may that's what gp vegas is um now would not be a good time to be buying a bunch of cards that may or may not appear in that set Yes, because and that's very important to know right now. Yeah, those prices are going to drop precipitously on anything that's at least below mythic rarity. Yep, um, Tarmogoyfs so, will mostly stay at about the same price. They'll they might down, come down a little, but they, they might go, right go up. up. They went up last time. That's you know. insane. But anything that like doubling season now is probably. I I don't know that they'll reprint it. I'm not making predictions mm-hmm. on that. It's just like, is it worth it? Because last time it was in the set and it dropped a lot and it's climbed back up. So now's not the time to buy it. Yeah. Unless you just really want it for that deck tomorrow, you know. Otherwise, I would wait and see what's in uh, Modern Masters 2015. Okay, Primal Vigor instead, just as good. Yeah, so just find those cards that aren't in Modern yeah. and maybe buy those right now. But Modern's just, anything that's legal in Modern, I, I just don't know right now that investing in any, anything uh, expensive that's legal and modern is a good idea right now. It's the danger zone. Yeah. Um, other small ways to save before we wrap this mini topic up is uh, buying everything near mint is going to cost you. And it just depends on your mentality towards that kind of thing. If you don't care, then you can save like $3 on a card just by getting heavily played or whatever. And over a course of like 10 cards, you're saving like 30 bucks. It's a huge difference. And really like on a card that is less than $5, does it matter if it's near mint or not? Like, mm-hmm. that card's not valuable. Yeah. Like, I get it if you're buying a dual land, an old school dual land, and you want it to be near mint over, because that card's going to hold its value. Right. And you might be able to turn it into, you know, it's going to increase in value. But yeah, a $3 card is likely to be a $3 card in five years, so yeah. or, or worse. So why are you worried about, you know, what its value is? Yeah, precisely. Um, and finally, you guys have the power of the internet, so go ahead and use it. Go listen to our friend Jason Alt over on the Brainstorm Brewery podcast. They have very informative podcasts about just finance in general. There's a subreddit on Reddit for MTG Finance. Um, so there's also MTG Market Watch, which is sort of the more uh, publicly run one. Finance mm-hmm. is a little more restrictive, but there's tons there's of quite speculation. Quite speculation, yeah. Lots of people speculate and talk about this sort of stuff. So you can go on, and it's it's fun to actually kind of read and see what people are saying and find out the reasoning behind specs and stuff. I listen to Brainstorm Brewery every week, and I don't even deal that much with finance, but it's very interesting to just learn about how the world of finance works. Yeah. And, you know, even if you don't buy cards that often, when you do, at least you have peace of mind that you're doing it in the correct manner or at least the best manner possible for you. Yeah, correct. I agree with you there. Um, One last tip Jason oh, yeah. did give us, because Jason was on our show. If you haven't checked that out. Um, that was a really fun episode. Yeah, he, he was on our, our show um, late last year in December. And the one big tip he sort of gave EDH players was just maybe double your orders mm-hmm. when you're ordering cards. Because if you want a card for your deck... It must be pretty good in EDH, and somebody else will probably want it. 
So that's a, a, a decent way to sort of just spec on cards once in a while where you're like, this card's really good. I'm going to buy, I need two for my decks. Maybe I'm just going to buy four yeah. and I'll have two because at some point somebody else will want one of these. Yep. That's a yeah. good point. Um, and Jason had a, sc- a scope on Primal Vigor, which was a, it's, it's kind of like doubling season. And he was talking about it back when it was like $5. It's up to eight now. So yep. the guy knows What's Dictate of Erebus? Because I remember he mentioned that. Oh, that's right. I have to look it up. But I'm pretty sure that, I'm sure they're climbing because these are good cards. Like Dictate of Erebus is what Grave Pact is, but with a, a lot more upside, And it hasn't honestly. rotated out yet. It, it'll probably go up when that set's not in print anymore. Yeah, exactly. But I think that was a really good spec of his. I think he said he bought like a thousand of them or something. Jeez, for how much? Uh, fifty cents or something. something. No. Well, their mids like hanging out at seventy five. So if They'll you're buying, up. if you're buying that many, you're definitely going to be making some moolah off of it. All right. So the our last section for today for the trading up uh, episode is that now that you've got the card in your hand, it's time to put it into the deck. And there are other cards now that are floating around that are no longer in decks, and those cards are very sad. And so our final point is what to do with old cards. Don't burn them. Unless they're Colagon. Kamel. Dang it. Oh, gosh. I said said the name. She must not be named. Eli, cut that out. Just kidding, Eli. (laughs) Just leave it. It's fine. Um, So we have a lot of old cards that are just no longer in decks. And the first main thing is just put them in another deck. That's the number one easy answer. Uh, If you don't have that luxury, then there are other ways. But, like, if you have... You know, you, you can make your card work if you really like that card, if it's a pet card. Like, there's another legendary commander out there that will suit you very well. I do. Do you do this? I don't know if you do, but I take all the cards that sort of were close to making the cut in mm-hmm. any deck and I have a separate box. And those are just all the cards that were, like, on the fringe of oh, playable nice. in a deck. And that means they'll probably be playable in something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I've separated it out into just colors and just, like, so sometimes I'll just have a bunch of, like you know, commons that I need a lot of in a certain deck and they'll mm-hmm. just be all in that color. So like it's nice to have these depositories so you can like look through and be like, oh this staple I need for this or whatever. Right. Um and another route is to sell them and this is a lot of work in general. <laughs> um, it is. It it's like it is more daunting than it seems. Don't buy a card because you're like, I'm gonna sell it eventually. Um uh, actually have a history of doing this with all my cards. Every single big hobby I've gotten into I've always gotten out of you just in, sold out all at once? Yeah. Well, World of Warcraft, I mean, I was like 19 and obsessed with the game, and I played it. And then the next expansion was coming out, and I was like, no, I'm in college, and I just don't have the interest anymore. Sell my account. Got 700 bucks for it. Nice. I sold my EverQuest account for 900 Nice. Well, I calculated day. out. I think Freddy calculated oh, out. Yeah. I was making something like 25 cents an hour. Probably less. <laughs> yeah, That's pretty good, less. actually. I know, right? Yeah. I was making as much as like, I'm the a exact gold opposite farmer. of you, except for the EverQuest thing. I never sell out of anything. So well, I have a Warcraft account sitting there with like 12 million gold on it right now. <laughs> of course, you would also have the account that just knew how to run the auction system, left and right and up and down. I was always the guy that was just like, oh, fine, I'll pay this outrageous price for this item. I was no, on and I was the one selling it. it to you. Yeah, um, that's really funny. Uh, but yeah, I played another card game called Magi Nation when I was a kid, and I sold out of that because the, the company went out of business. I don't think. Uh, magic's going anywhere anytime soon. I though. think you're good. I think you're yeah. fine. Uh, anyway, so there are a few routes to selling cards. You can eBay them. You can go to your LGS. Or you can use buy lists. Um, unless you're getting rid of a ton of cards, I wouldn't recommend buy lists because they generally offer much less prices because they're buying in bulk. So unless you're like a guy like Jason that's specking on a ton of cards, don't do buy lists in general, I think. Um, unless you just want to get rid of a card fast and not have to worry about the selling each individual one. If, or sometimes I would say it's okay if you're getting that 30% store credit thing or something like right. that. In which case, that'll even out the buy list gap. Yeah, and you can find some good deals. Again, like your LGS is there to help 
you know, make a cool transaction that you're both happy with. Um, and eBay is another option, but I don't think it's that great because oh, there's a such lot. such a pain. Yeah, I appreciate people for selling cards on eBay. I do not want to sell them myself because you need to create like a mini website that people go to that will draw in bids. Like otherwise your card's not going to sell successfully. And, and there's fees and all Tons of fees, uh, yeah. For what each. a headache. Yeah, and also... Uh, there could be potential issues when you ship a card to someone else and they'll complain that wasn't in mint condition. And in general, eBay almost always sides with the buyer. Right. So the seller is not on eBay's like, good, like, don't worry, I got your backside. Well, so. because they're always going to have sellers, but if they don't have buyers, they're done. Exactly. Um, and I still think your LGS is your best bet in the close vicinity if you want to get rid of something the same day. Because uh, you can either trade with someone there or you can just sell to the store for cash, uh, store credit or just outright cash sometimes. Yep. Um, and also, if you have like large boxes of commons and uncommons, you can sell them for a pretty fair price per card because stores usually are looking to pick up that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and we already talked about this, but you can also trade your cards. Uh, your LGS is also a place to trade. Um, it's a great place for that. I mean, yeah. that's where you're going to find players that you wouldn't otherwise normally be in contact with. Because, mm-hmm. you know, after a while, you've seen all your friends' cards. Yeah. And so there's only so much trading that can happen. But that's the way to sort of get an influx of cards you haven't seen from a stranger. Mm-hmm. So that's a, it's a good way. Yeah. And I think trading five to ten okay to mediocre cards for one to two good cards is completely worth it. Yeah, totally. I think that's what you want to do. That's the essence that's of trading hard, up. It's harder sense. to do. But yeah, if you can trade, you know, 10 cards worth $2 for one $20 card, in general, you want to do that because it's mm-hmm. way harder to get rid of a bunch of $2 cards than it is to get rid of one $2, $20 card. You know? Yeah. And yeah. even if like one of those $2 cards becomes more expensive in the long run, you still have more value for that single card than you do in that entire batch of the 10. Yeah. Um, another great thing you can just do is just give them to a friend because there are are people that want to get into commander that play magic already and giving someone, you know, ways to make a free deck around this new legendary creature they pulled in the draft or just giving them some stuff that you aren't going to use and aren't interested in trying to go sell for however much you're going to get for it. And you're also going to build someone that you're going to you know play with. So it's a lot of fun to gift people cards. You yeah. I mean, I know you this. do this and I do this a lot too, which is at like pre-releases or something. You take out like the two rares you want and then I just find some kid and be like, Hey, you want all these? Yeah. I always leave my comments and uncommons and random. Yeah. Rares I don't want. And, and people are, you know, you can usually tell which people will be excited to get mm-hmm. like just a bunch of cart random cards. Oh, I would have been so stoked if I oh, yeah. got that. Oh yeah. You just find the closest like 12 to eight year old and be like, Hey, you want all these? And yeah. that, you know, you're building a, uh, you're building your community when you do that. It's the mm-hmm. same thing as building your LGS. Yeah, and that kid will appreciate it for a long time uh, because it means a lot. All right, and finally, there's GP Vegas. This isn't actually a category. This is just, uh, It's big enough to be its own category. Yeah. <laughs> there are going to be people everywhere at this event with trade binders and vendors looking to get cards, sell cards, uh, buy the cards you open in your packs as soon as you get them, that foil, I don't know, Elish Norn, because I think that's going to happen. Um, and this is your chance to also offload a ton of stuff that you don't want to use anymore and replace it with some new awesome stuff. This is like the perfect place to do it. The only thing is you got to be safe. There's a lot of cards floating around and each of those binders is worth a lot of money. Do not go anywhere where you're not within, um, you should be holding your cards at all time. You should be in contact with them. Don't let it slip out of your attention. Yeah. I think that's, that's good advice. Um, GP Vegas is just going to be the mecca. It's going to be the biggest magic event that the world's ever seen. And it's 
there's a million reasons to go and this is just another one of them but mm -hmm. i think you're right like yeah you're gonna have to be careful there's gonna be they they're saying that a lot of the side events are gonna sell out yeah that's insane because usually they don't and this is again a limited print run with modern masters and it's shaping up to be the biggest face-to-face -face event it is i think already it's gonna be the biggest face-to-face -face gaming event in the history of the world yeah this is this whole episode has so just good. been an excuse to tell people to go to GP Vegas because <laughs> we want to hang out with y'all. I'm gonna be there with my trade binders. We're definitely gonna do some kind of meetup and and outside of the main event. Um, oh hell yeah! And it'll be fun. I'd love to see what you guys all have to offer. Um, it's gonna be so great, you know, just going to restaurants after and you know seeing people that you've been playing with and just like having all these people around is gonna be a lot of fun. Um, all right, well, let's move on to the end step. That has been the episode of Trading Up, making the best out of your cards and resources. There's so much more to cover, and there will always be new things that I learn as I procure cards and tips about how to trade up and how to you know find good value for what you're trying to do and, and have both parties be happy. But we'll save that for another episode. Let's move on to the end step. The end step, where we talk about something usually outside of the world of magic. This one's yes. not going to be, although it will sort of, Sort of be. It's sort of be, yeah. So it is a magic thing, but the larger scope of it is that it's an important sort of just life thing. Uh, Gabby Spartz, who is a, uh, you should just look her up. I'll, I'll have a link about uh, some of the stuff she's done. She's really cool. Uh, wrote an article called Six Things You Can Do to Get More Women Into Magic. And it's a well-written article. There's a lot of common sense stuff in there that I think someone commented. Uh, she's going actually on, um, I think, Channel Fireball tonight to talk about the uh, article because there's been a ton of controversy and the top comment on that reddit thread is my favorite which is it's sad that this is controversial yeah and i, I completely I, agree with that it's funny it is, because i was like controversial yeah why it, i mean if you read some of the comments anything about women in gaming never read right the comment now section is, by the way but yeah. if you do it's it's lame <laughs> um yeah this has sort of been a hot button topic across gaming in general from gamergate all the way to here and the big thing in the case of Magic is that we all play a role in being a part of a community. It's the same way that you play a role in being a part of your family and in being a part of your friend group and in being part of your high school. You represent what you participate in actively, and it's all aspects of Magic. So um, in general, just I would say the one of the easy pitfalls to fall into when sort of thinking about the like, oh, right, I'm going to work for, towards equality and stuff, is that you sort of turn it into a white knight kind of thing where you become a hero of sorts, in this case, to the feminine kind for standing up for their rights and whatever. It's actually... It's like that great quote about the movie The Help. I forgot who said it, but <laughs> somebody was, was like, oh, yeah, another white people solve, sli so solve racism <laughs> movie. Yeah, exactly. And here's the thing. It's like being a good person isn't a heroic thing. It's just the right thing to do. Um, you're a human women are humans we're all humans it's just about being a decent human being um and i haven't shared in four days so i'll be off now <laughs> that's about it <laughs> i think you know we have a responsibility as magic players but also as gamers mm -hmm. you know to create, we're building our own future like you to guys create that, a welcoming right? atmosphere for you know all player anybody who wants to play the game and and there shouldn't be a situation created where anybody feels like they're not welcome to play mm -hmm. whatever game that you're playing. And so if you see those situations happen, then yeah, it's incumbent upon you to do something about it, to say something and also to be welcoming, mm -hmm. to be the person that, you know, makes the game fun for that, that even above winning above anything else uh, is important because if, if we're not bringing new people into the game, whatever, whoever they are, whatever, yeah. you know, you're just slowly dooming your own hobby to, 
eventually die out. Yeah, it's and, kind and of sad. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's really a responsibility that we all have. And um, mm-hmm. my favorite award when I was growing up was the Spirit of the Game Award, which we always gave out after each game. Because if someone was like, if like there was just this one player on the other team that lost badly, but he was just in it, he was having fun. He was jo- cracking jokes like that guy won the spirit of the game because he's just or she is just the coolest person on the field. Well, I don't know if you've heard this, Jimmy, but it's all about the game. It's all about the game. <laughs> At the end of the day, it's Dean all about Ernie the game. Calhoun. Um, all right. So clean up phase. Uh, Tell your friends about the show. If you guys have any new friends coming into Commander, I met some cool people at MTG Deals when I was playing a uh, draft there, and uh, the guy just bought his Commander deck, and he was looking through the cards. I could see all the cogs going. It was awesome. I was like, hey, you should listen to the Command cast. <laughs> why'd, you t- why'd you put that voice on when you said that? Well, this I was nervous because I was like, <laughs> how do I advertise myself without coming off as pretentious? <laughs> That's true. It's hard to walk up to somebody and go, hey. Listen to the show I do. I'm yeah. really smart. <laughs> I will teach you things you never knew, boy. I should have told him we reviewed the deck that he bought, but it was actually Commander 2013, so we didn't cover that one. But I, I was super excited to see like the the spark ignite, his right. Planeswalker spark, Josh. You you didn't dream crush him out of the format? I didn't. I actually took his card. And did just, you tuck his general and dream crush no, him No, but I did take his big oversized foil, but he didn't seem to care because it's a giant oversized <laughs> foil. He, so he already knows that that's worthless. <laughs> Pretty much. Well, he's a step ahead. Yeah, so tell your friends about the show if they don't know about it. It would make a huge difference to us. iTunes reviews. Yes, yes, please. And a shout out to our sister podcast, The Masters of Modern. You can find them online at Twitter, at the MMCast. They talk about all things modern, and they're definitely... I mean, Kessler has been like five out of five on his predictions. Uh, the guy knows what he's talking about. And Ben is awesome, too. Like, they're both great co-hosts for each other. And it's always fun to see what they predict is coming because they're both pretty spot on. They did a prediction episode really recently. Um, and it's similar to what we were talking about earlier as far as what might be coming out in yeah. the Modern Masters set. So probably a good listen if you're thinking about buying anything at least they you'll get some expert thoughts on it yeah totally all right well that's it for this episode we got another episode coming on thursday we're going to talk about josh's uh tim deck oh i'm excited to talk about that one yeah the zur the enchanter deck it's a tapper deck and it is no prodigal sorcerer prodigal sorcerer i'm so sorry zur is is the the i don't know that's the copy of prodigal (laughs) That's right. Uh, it is kind of a nightmare to play against, I'll say this much, but it is a lot of fun to play itself. So we'll talk about that next time. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. All yeah, right. We'll see you next time. Peace. Thank you for your attention. For further inquiries, send an email to commandcast at rocketjump.com or ask us on Twitter at JF Wong and at Josh Lee Kwai. See you later. Alligator. Greetings, humans. (laughs) The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find 
people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.